Amen. Well, good morning, church. My name is Scott. I'm the lead pastor here at Bethany North, and uh, it's a joy to be with you. Last week, I was at Green Lake as we launched this sermon series called Restoration, uh, Life in the Spirit Amidst Racism. Um, Going to do something a little bit different, non-traditional, as we're talking through over the five weeks about restoration, life in the Spirit amidst racism. Today's very much on the nose about what does the Holy Spirit and racism have to do with each other. Um, but it's also want to be practical. So there's going to be invitations in the series about ways to, you know, grow in this. But one thing that's happening kind of culturally here in America tomorrow is Indigenous Peoples Day. This is the day traditionally that was called Columbus Day. And uh, we have a slide of the Duwamish River because Bethany has become uh, relationally connected with the Duwamish tribe. It is still seeking uh, federal recognition. It's a, the tribe in South Seattle that has lived along the Duwamish for thousands of years. And Bethany has um, just, we participate in a program called Real Rent. We have friendships there. We've done some, volunteer, uh, some volunteerism there. We did a staff day last spring where we were doing kind of vision and prayer, whatever, and we rented their longhouse and got to walk uh, along the Duwamish uh, River. It's pretty uh, interesting to know some of their history. Chief Seattle uh, was Duwamish himself, but they're not federally recognized, and so they're in the fight of that. Um, so tomorrow's Indigenous People Day. Federal workers have off. School children do not have it off. Church workers do not have it off. Um, but one of the things that we do at Bethany is before we do meetings on our leadership, we do just a land acknowledgement. Just our way to say, of course, the earth and all that is uh, belongs to the Lord. But here in America, we also live in a racialized society. So we just take a moment to say, like, hey, we're, we're grateful that there are indigenous peoples before us. It's just our chance to kind of live our values. So because tomorrow's Indigenous People Day, and just to mix it up, I will do this today in our service, that uh, the land acknowledgement um, that we do in our leadership meetings, and just a word, acknowledgement in and of itself, no big deal. Relationship is transformative. So we have this growing relationship with the Duwamish tribe, and um, that's why it feels helpful for us to do a land acknowledgement before our leadership meetings. But uh, I'll do that now for our worship, and then we'll dive in. So we at Bethany Community Church acknowledge we gather today on the ancestral lands of the Duwamish people of Seattle, the Coast Salish peoples, people who are still here. We express our respect, gratitude for our indigenous siblings, their elders, and for the care and protection of our shared lands and waterways. So let me pray. Jesus, thank you so much for your church. We thank you for uh, the chance to open up the scriptures. And God, we just ask that you would open up our lives today, that we'd be people encountering your spirit, that we'd be people of mission and justice and evangelism, that your church would grow, that people would know that you're a God of power and might, that we'd be people that are speaking truth to power and saying that the church does have a powerful witness against any force that keeps people oppressed in our culture, especially in the current moment racism. So God, teach us what your scripture says about the indwelling power of your spirit and how it reconciles and connects us all by your power. Lord, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Our sermon text today is going to be Acts 2. It's a, uh, it's a text that we preach, I feel like, two or three, four times a year at Bethany. I love that we do. It's one of the most powerful texts in the New Testament. It is a 
uh, the telling of the Holy Spirit. Jesus had promised it, and then when the day of Pentecost came, Acts 2, they, the disciples, were together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire separate and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. They began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled. Now there were some in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews, that were staying there from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't those who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of them hears in our native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does it mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. And then Peter stood up with the 11. He raised his voice. He addressed the crowd, fellow Jews and you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you carefully. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. Now, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, this is from Joel 2, God says, I'll pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they'll prophesy. I'll show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then skipping ahead to uh, verse 42 of Acts 2. They, these new believers, this new community of faith, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying the favor of the people. And the Lord added to the number daily those who were being saved. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. And a really great text for us to dive into today. This series is called Restoration, Life in the Spirit Amidst Racism. We're painfully aware of the reality of a racialized society. But what does God say? What does the scripture say about how we as Christians are to live and act and move in order to be people of both mercy and justice? That is our work today, to unpack what the scriptures have to say. And Pastor Raul did a great job teaching from the end of the story last week. If, if you missed it, he preached from Revelation 7, where every tribe, nation, language, and tongue gathered around the throne of God. And the Lamb was on the throne, and the Lamb wiped every tear from their eyes. It's an incredible picture of the end of the story. And then today, we're in the, kind of the middle of the story. Where the Spirit falls, and, and people are prophesying because of the power of the Holy Spirit. It's amazing. Bethany, um, we're, we've been in this work of just teaching the Bible and what the Bible has to say about racial justice. One of the, uh, the kind of additions we've added this fall is we hired someone named Ted, I'm sorry, Phil Lewis. Ted Lewis. Ted Lewis, Phil Lewis. I have Phil Lewis in my notes, but I think his name is Ted. This story is not starting out very strong. <laughs> 
So let's call him Ted. He came to Bethany and did a, um, an all-day workshop last weekend on restorative justice and then two meetings you know, kind of ahead of that, giving tools to Christians that have racial kind of you know, garbage going on between them. How do we heal? A framework for healing from the scriptures. And he came to our teaching team on Monday morning. Now, the teaching team from all six locations, about 14, men, women, white, and brown, we study the scriptures. What are we going to teach the Bible in our six locations at Bethany? We do it every single Monday. It's one of the best meetings of the week. And Ted, we'll call him, which I do think is his name, he, he came to teaching team to just listen in on how we were studying the Bible and preparing for this, um, this week's message. And he said, you know, I got to tell you, I go to churches all around the country and I'm part of this you know, framework for, for healing when racial divides happen. And he said, I see this thing happening in the church. I see a move to either this moralistic liberalism or this reactionary conservatism. He says, I see it everywhere, every church. They're, they're in this moralistic liberalism on the kind of moral high ground where they think they've arrived and no one else has, or this you know, reactionary conservatism that says, like, oh, if we could just preach the Bible and not talk about all this race stuff. He says, I see these two poles kind of coming through the church. And he said, the third way is a way that Bethany's right in the middle of, is Christ's way. And he says, you know, remember, whenever people can't box the church into one camp or the other, the spirit is present. It was the way with Jesus' ministry and Paul's ministry. New wine, Jesus said. You don't put new wine into old wineskins. So new wine, what for us in the church in 2022, what does God have to say about race? We don't want to be a moralistic liberal church. We don't want to be a reactionary conservative. We want to be a Jesus church. So we need to be like reacting to Jesus and his call. And then he said something that was really a blessing to us. He says, this church is a praying church. Now, that's a blessing for a couple reasons. Because we have prophets, even at Bethany North, that say, even while we're learning to become a praying community, we're going to declare that we're a praying church. Because a real church is a praying church. That's why at the end of the service day, there'll be prayer ministers on the left and the right after we take communion. And you're invited to come, not because you're especially broken, but because you want to see the Spirit of God move in your life. Our prayer ministers pray all week long for the service and for you, and they're trained in how to pray with people through the Holy Spirit. So we would love to pray with you any Sunday, but maybe this Sunday. So consider coming forward today for prayer. But when he said, Bethany is a praying church, it was really encouraging to me. And then he said something really scary to me. He says, I work with a lot of justice churches, and sadly, a lot of them aren't praying churches. Now, this trainer, he's actually this phenomenally gifted guy. And he's bringing a framework of like when racial things happen, how do we have healing through God's spirit for the church? It's a real gift. But it had me thinking as we kind of dive into today's text that isn't that the case? Like so many churches that's like, well, you know, or so many people. I, I certainly don't want to paint us as some sort of like arrived church. No. But as Christians, we see people saying like, okay, I'm a justice Christian. I want to do all the things. And I want to march. And I want to whatever. And then we have, you know, oftentimes I, I talk to people like I'm a praying Christian or I'm a spiritual habits or I like to be alone with my journal in the Lord. And friends, I'm here to say today that we are, we're, that's like one thing. 
Like we're, we're called to be people that are like advocating and justice-minded, but also people of incredible silence and stillness, being refilled by the Spirit of God so that we have a gift to bring into the world. We don't step because, you know, hey, we're trying to be like the school board or the coffee shop or the YMCA. Like we're the church. What does the church have that's a blessing to our community? If we're not with the Lord in worship, silence, and prayer, we're nothing. We're trying to reflect the values of the world. But if we stay in those still silent places, we're missing the call to be truth tellers in our culture. To say, oh, our God has something to say about reconciliation, about hopefulness. And so today, my hope is that we, we are kind of focusing on, on participation What does the Spirit of God call us to participate in a racialized society? My hope is that nothing comes out of my mouth that would be divisive for us as a family of faith. There are people on our left and the right that voted different than us, that maybe enter into this conversation around racism and and from maybe different places than us. Some people are like, finally, the church is talking about it. And some of you are here today saying, I wish we would just be in our November series already. Some may have said, can we just preach the Bible? And I say, we are. We will. We do. And this is a chance for us to focus on bringing to bear the things that God has to say on something that harms so many people still in our culture, which is racism. So let's dive in. The first thing I want to talk about today is that the Holy Spirit is central to any real God movement. We see that from Acts 2, verses 1 through 13. The Holy Spirit is present in any real movement of God. And if you look there in verses 1 through 13, it's a little bit of chaos. I didn't bring my Mariner hat today. It's backstage. I was going to mess around. But this thing, like, anyone watch the Mariners this weekend? Yes. Okay. Let's just talk about the Mariners and racism and the Holy Spirit. We're doing well. With, was it Phil or Ted Lewis? I don't know. Um, But, you know, they have this thing, like, embrace the chaos the Mariners do right now. Because it's chaotic, but it's beautiful. We're having a lot of fun, those of us long-suffering baseball Mariner fans. If you read Acts 2, think about embrace the chaos. When the Spirit shows up, it's chaotic to people that like order. Like, look here at verses 1 through 13. When the day of Pentecost came, they were together in one place. I'm going to talk about that in a minute. The sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven. Not a gentle wind, a violent one. Filled the house they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that then separated and came to rest on them. They're filled with the Spirit. They began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. That's amazing. Now, it's Passover, and there's people from all over, God-fearing Jews from all over the Mediterranean that are present. And when they heard the sound, the crowd came together. They were bewildered because they're hearing different tongues. Like, just think of how chaotic that would sound. They're utterly amazed, and they're confused. Aren't these Galileans? How is it that each of us hears our own tongues? Look at, jump to verse 12. They're amazed, and they're perplexed. What does it mean? And then some made fun of them. They've had too much wine. If you actually kind of like unpack slowly every part, every clause, every word of that scene, it's embrace the chaos times two. It's, it's wild. And, and it's easy to kind of sugarcoat it like, oh, I wish I was there. But if you were there, it's probably easy to say, that would be a little scary for those that like the status quo. It'd be a little bit just, if nothing else, just like, whoa, I've never seen this before. 
And there's something about being in intimacy with the Lord, filled with the Holy Spirit, that should be moving us to places of discomfort, that should be just like shaking us up a bit that's not the status quo. Because when we're in allegiance to Jesus Christ, we are saying, I place my life before you. I'm no longer in control. We love that when, you know, like Jesus take the wheel, like when we're like praying for a parking spot at the mall at Christmas or a new job or a new relationship. Like, I'm not in control, God. But for me, at least, I don't know about you, being in, like not in control is really hard for me. I like to be in control. I like to know what God's up to. I like to know what's going to happen next. And a lot of the season we've come through the last couple of years has been seasons of instability, where it's like, gosh, it's really hard to know what's going to happen next. But what God says is through the power of the Spirit, when the Spirit is enabling the movement and people are connected to the Spirit of God, there is a power source more intimate and certainly more powerful than anything they would be able to muster on their own. Interesting, in verse 13, that people, even here at the beginning, the Spirit falls, and some are jeering with a J in the Greek. They are criticizing. They are dismissing. Like, it's wild if you think about it. Every tribe, nation, and tongue, it's a picture of revelation. Here, Spirit falls, And some are missing this massive movement of God because of something going on in their own head. They're dismissing what God's up to. They are missing it. They're they're skeptical. And how often do we miss what the Spirit's doing because we're in a spirit of cynicism or a spirit of skepticism? I think there's this warning from verse 13. You miss it. But Jesus was constantly in the ministry of of dismissing the power sources in order to be aligned to where God was taking him. New wine, new places, the Greek Decapolis into Samaria, preaching the gospel to women, like calling tax collector and zealot to be part of his home team. Everything about Jesus' ministry was different than what people expected. It was controversial. He He was crossing boundaries for the sake of the kingdom of God. And many of you have been raised in the church, so it's like you know that. You know how controversial Jesus with the women of well. You know when Jesus gets to the far side of the Sea of Galilee and he preaches to the man of the tombs. Like, nobody does that. Nobody, like, sits with the man in the tombs in chains and treats him like a human being but Jesus. But what you should see in his ministry is a model that's destroying every category of people. Male, female, Greek or Jew, sane or insane, Jesus is like, I came that a new family of faith would be present. And so when Jesus leaves the spirit, the first act that happens, spirit falls and bam, like there's this new unity present. And that's really, really tricky for us in America because as we kind of switch the conversation, like what does that mean right now? Like, we live in a racialized society. And the big critique over many years that I've had with Christians is, Scott, isn't God colorblind? We know from Genesis 1, you know, God created humanity, male and female. He created them, and it's very good. And, like, can't we just be colorblind? That would make sense in a Genesis 1 and 2 world. But we live Genesis 3 forward. 
We live in a world of fallenness, and we live in a country that knows racial oppression. Like I, um, I got to kick off the series last week at Green Lake, and so some of these things I shared down there, but it's been helpful for me to consider, like sure, you know, we, you know there was the civil war around you know, the independence of people of color and then the civil rights movement, but still, even in Seattle, as late as the 1960s and 70s, there was covenants, even in shoreline housing developments, against people of color buying homes in our neighborhoods. Like, why is that? I thought, you know, if we live in a colorblind society, it's called, it's called racial redlining. Seattle was like one of the worst cities. You couldn't get a bank loan unless you were funding a house in certain properties in the Central District. And when you think of the national scene, it's really discouraging that even though we've lived in like, hey, anybody can be anyone here, it's really not all that true. 46 presidents, only one person of color, no females. Over 100 Supreme Court justices, only three have been black, and two of them serving currently. So when you just think about some of the uphill battle that people of color have faced in our society, for people that are white, it would say, we've got some work to do. To just say, hey, God cares that every color would be, by filling with the Spirit, able to live into fruitfulness and wholeness. We've got to be people of great mercy, but also people of great justice. We've got to be kind of a justice church, but a praying church. And the church hasn't always done that well. Daniel Hill, we have this quote, I believe, uh, who wrote Wide Awake and came to Bethany in 2018. He says, American Christianity, particularly evangelicalism, has often lost sight of a holistic understanding of the gospel. There's an emphasis on the proclamation of the good news, but it tends to be theologically disconnected from the demonstration of that good news. There's an emphasis of loving God as being expressed in the great commandment, but it's theologically disconnected from loving neighbor. There's an emphasis on being reconciled to God through Christ, but it's theologically disconnected from being sent into the world by Christ as ambassadors of reconciliation, which is a verse, 2 Corinthians 5.20. So, therefore, we've got some work to do. For people of color who are with us, I just want to say thank you because, you know, it was Martin Luther King who said 10 a.m. on Sunday morning, the most divided hour in, in the week, right? Because people t- typically tend to worship with people that they feel comfortable with. We're super grateful for people of color that you're part of our community. And maybe this is a season that you feel free to just kind of step back and let others kind of learn more what the Bible has to say about race. Because for many of you, you've been navigating these conversations for a long time. For others of us that are maybe Caucasian, there's some just work for us to do. What does the Bible say about disarming racism? What does it mean to be a spirit-filled church that's able to worship God and advocate for neighbors who are caught in discrimination? There's still the impact of our racialized society. It's kind of the air we breathe. And I hear people say all the time, Scott, but I'm not racist. I don't say racist things. I don't do racist things. Isn't that enough? Friends, it is in the air we breathe in American Christianity. So the church gets to just point to the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, who was a chain breaker. We get to preach the Bible and its good news uh, against racism. We don't, like, those aren't two different things. It's one thing, by the power of the Holy Spirit. I think there's some opportunities for us ahead. We've got to participate. Got to participate. It starts with learning. It never ends with learning. It moves towards action and advocacy. 
It's a great story. I did tell it last week. Some of you like kind of double dip and watch our other locations, so this will be a repeat. But it's a story that comes from my wife who um, went on a study tour with Whitworth University in the 90s, way back in the 90s. And the study tour for a bunch of kids from Spokane, Washington, was out of the psychology, but also the religion department. It's called Prejudice Across America. They took a train tour to multiple cities around the United States to learn about prejudice in other parts of America. Certainly, prejudice exists in all parts of America, but they went to study some different cities and kind of what it looks like there. And they got to Chicago, and they were in the Cabrini-Green neighborhood of South Chicago in the housing authority. The professor took these kids, mostly white, to just learn about systemic oppression and how difficult it was to get housing for people of color in Chicago. And so they went, you know, I don't know, there's a group of about 15 of them. And so they went to the housing authority of Cabrini Green. And to not be disruptive, they said, let's go in and two by two. And I don't want you to say anything. I want you just to go in and watch. See who's in line. See what they're navigating to get an apartment here in these housing projects of South Chicago. So two by two, they go in. They go in, they watch, they come out. They go in, they watch, they come out. Unfortunately for my wife, she's near the back of the line of people going in. And so she, when she goes in with a partner to just watch... This woman stands up behind the counter. She says, hey, you, and points to my wife and the other one. She says, you're not allowed to just come here and watch. You're not allowed to just stare. I think that's a word for so many of us right now. Like, we're painfully aware what happened in our city in summer 2020 after George Floyd's death and, you know, kind of all that was happening in Capitol Hill. And yet, we can ask questions Are we just watching when we see things that kind of show signs and alignment with systemic oppression? Or are we being moved towards action? Are we being moved towards participation? The Holy Spirit would be the boundary breaker, the the bondage breaker, the deep connection that is the power source to us having the good news. But we've got to do some of the work. Second thing I want to say is this. What does the work look like? The work looks like standing with others for the purpose of salvation. Again, I think it's really clear. We're not trying to build a coffee shop or the YMCA. We're trying to build the church, which is the good news of the gospel, that all people in our city would see Christ lifted up. But because we live in a society where racism has been present, we get to say, gosh, we need to stand with others. Like, who do I stand with? For the purpose of salvation, restoration by the Spirit. Look at verses 14 and on. Peter stood with the eleven. He raised his voice and he preached a sermon. Fellow Jews, all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. There's certain places I kind of laugh at the Bible. That's funny to me. It's like, I mean, if it was 7 p.m., maybe, you know, it's like, (laughs) it's only nine in the morning. They're not drunk. But the Bible says, Peter's giving a sermon, this fisherman, this man who knows God's grace more than anyone else because he's just denied Jesus. But then Jesus restored him. Because remember, what we're aiming for as Christians isn't perfection, is being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not just knowing God, it's experiencing God. It's not just sin management. It's being transformed by the power of Christ so that because I have experienced God's love, I can be a vessel of that love and truth and justice in my community. So Peter's preaching his face off. And he says, 
Joel 2, I'll pour out my spirit on all people. God prophesies at the beginning. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I'll pour out my spirit in those days. And they will prophesy. I'll show wonders in heavens above and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and billow smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness. The moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That passage is so instrumental for what God wants to do through the Spirit. It is for the sake of salvation. As the Spirit is poured out and people are connected to the power of God, the relationships change here on earth. The fact that men and women both received the Spirit 2,000 years ago, as prophesied 2,500 years ago by Joel, is mind-blowing. Women didn't have a voice 2,000 years ago. Women couldn't speak up in court 2,000 years ago. They couldn't own property 2,000 years ago. But when the Spirit of God comes, it says, I came to level the playing field, and not erase male femaleness, but to say, you each matter here. Because of the power of God, your distinctions become a place of creativity and power and for the sake of salvation. And when people say, hey, well, can we just kind of, you know, get back to the Bible? This, friends, is the Bible. It's incredible. It's incredible what Peter says. When the Spirit comes, God can do new work in the church. Eugene Peterson, who I'm a big fan of, He says, Christian churches are not, as a rule, model communities of good behavior. They are, rather, to be places where human misbehavior is brought out in the open, faced, and dealt with. And so as a church, we get to just say, who are we standing with? Who are we supporting? Who are we saying, God, people that have have struggled in our community— And through personal relationship, through systemic action, through things like with the Duwamish tribe, and like in whatever ways that God is calling you, we are being moved towards participation. And there's lots of ways to participate, even over this fall at Bethany. There's an all-church speaker coming on November 14th. There's been information in your bulletin on different groups There's a time of prayer for people of color that just can have some intimacy together of like, hey, what's it like to be a person of color at Bethany? There's that Phil or Ted Lewis. He might be either his name. He's coming back in December, and I will apologize for forgetting his name in a sermon, but he's going to lead another training on restorative justice. When conflict happens because it happens, what do we do by the power of God to not just brush things under the rug, but to say, God, will you help heal us? Can you make us better? The next generation is watching, friends. The new Barna research says that 30% of Christians in the next 20 years under the age of 25 will leave their Christian faith. Many of them, when surveyed, says, why did you leave the faith? Many of them say, because my faith didn't have anything to say around the issues that matter. Really incredible research coming out now, though, is that up to 20% of people under the age of 25 if given an opportunity, may come to faith in the next decade. So if you do those numbers, there's a big group of people Barna is saying is going to leave the church. There's a big opportunity if we preach the gospel of Christ and have something to say about what's going on in the world because Christ calls us to be people standing with others. There's a huge wave of people who say, I will put my trust in this Jesus. Will we stand with others for the sake of the gospel?
And that's where I'll take us as we close. It's about relationships. It's got to be about relationships in the church. It's got to be about places that you could come here and show up. For people of color, you'd say, like, hey, my story matters and it hasn't always been easy, but I matter here. For people who are not people of color, to say, hey, I'm on a journey. I've known a lot about racial discrimination or it's just brand new, but because of the Spirit of God, I want to be here. I want to get to know other people. I want to have real, true, lasting friendship. Our kids model this because for many of them in their schools, it's like, you know, it's just they don't see skin color the way some of us older folks do because they just have friends across the spectrum. They know story. That kid is from Asia. That kid is from Europe. That kid, they know story because stories matter. But our kids can model for us a little bit of what it looks like to lean into the truth of God in a really invitational way. And our relationships matter. Our relationships matter. I find it incredibly powerful at the end of that text. I've already read it. I'm not going to read it again. Read this week if you want some inspiration. Acts 2, 42 through 49. They were all together, this every tribe, nation, and tongue. The group that came to Jerusalem speaking their native tongues after the Spirit fell, many of them stayed. And they just built a church that had every nation under heaven. They were worshiping God. Numbers were being added daily. Evangelism and justice. They were caring for each other. Were they a justice church or a praying church? They were the church. I want to be like that. I, I, I want us to be like that. A place that's radically connected to the heart of God through the Holy Spirit. A church that has something to say that's a place of justice and mission and opportunity so that people in the city would know this church cares deeply about them. Again, nothing divisive. Everything coming together to build the church. So as we close, I'll just tell you a story um, that it's kind of inspiring to me that when Peter gets up to preach, I'd never seen it until we studied as a teaching team this week. It's one of the real gifts of that teaching team meeting. He stood up with the others. The other 11, Matthias had just been added to the numbers after Judas' death. The other 11 just stood up with him. They didn't say a word. They gave Peter the microphone. And all 12 of them, shoulder to shoulder, never seen it before. Peter's preaching the message. They preached it by standing. They preached it by their relationship. They preached it by saying, we all have seen God's spirit do something amazing. And then the spirit fell. So friends, who do you stand with? Who are you in community with? Who are you just saying like, I don't even need to take the mic, but I'm just, I'm a friend to a person in need. I have cross-cultural relationships. I showed up to an event to just be a person that's on this learning journey. I'm coming to church and I'm bridging that gap between the justice church and the praying church to just saying, this is the church. Who do you stand with? It's an incredible story that Heather reminded me of lately. A herd of, uh, of elephants in Africa. When a herd of elephants, when a new baby calf is born, a herd of elephants, some of you know this, most of us don't. So they exhibit an incredible behavior to stand together. But when one of the females goes into labor, it's, you know, painful and bloody, and, and this huge elephant is rendered totally, totally open to attack. Life in the Sahara. There's lions and tigers and coyotes and things just waiting to take that new baby's life. But the rest of the herd says, not today. 
not with us here, and they literally will form a circle around the birthing mother. And then they start to stomp their feet. And then as the dust comes, it's almost counterintuitive because you'd think they would almost be like hunkered down, like I hope nobody sees. And it's this whole herd of elephants around the birthing mother to say, you're gonna have to come through us if you think you're gonna take this child. Who do you stand with? Who do you stomp for? Who are you advocating with? I mean, I, I get it. This is a tough text for some of us, but church, this is our work together standing and stomping that the image of Christ by the power of God would be formed in us, that we would be that church, the praying one, people of justice, people of intimacy with God for the sake of evangelizing this whole city. That's the call for us right now. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much that you came for us, that you lived and died and ascended to heaven for us, that you left your spirit Jesus, thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you. And right now, God, we just ask your Spirit to fill this room, to come and blow through these doors, to to just light upon us. God, for some of us, your Spirit is something we've read about, but we've experienced in, in only small doses. So Spirit, would you come and have your way in this room and have your way in our hearts? Lord God, we want to be that church, the church of your Spirit in this city, so filled up by your power that we would see you do amazing things. God, we know that when your spirit fell, it was always disruptive, but it always gave an example of what the kingdom looked like. It happened in in your ministry, Jesus, in the Mediterranean 2,000 years ago. It happened throughout the church. It happened in the Azusa revivals. Nobody could believe how powerful you were, God, because your spirit fell. And people that had no business being in a tent together, being in relationship together, had a new intimacy. That's how it's always been. So God, help us be a church like that. So deeply connected to to your spirit and, and, and filled with your power that we have new relationships, new places of justice and mercy. That we'd be living our faith from a place of experience. God, help us become that praying and justice-minded church that you called us to be for the sake of the city. Lord, I want to say a special blessing to those that are people of color in our community. There are some that have said, what's taken you so long? I wanted to hear this sermon a long time ago. God, thank you that they're on this journey with us still. Would Would your spirit be a balm to their spirit and help heal places where the church has been hurtful to them? God, we pray for the grumblers among us, the Acts 2.13, just skeptics. God, we get it. Some of us are skeptical because we've been hurt too. God, would you unite us all? Would you help us all see ways that we could just stand with others for the sake of your glory in the city? In your name we pray, amen. Today is a communion Sunday, and if you didn't happen to get a communion when you came in, you can rush back and grab one now. We're going to take communion as one body, people desperate to both be people of justice and people of prayer, people filled with God's spirit. On the night of which he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread and he broke it, and he said, this is my body, take it and eat it, and they did so, so let's eat now.
and the night in which he was also betrayed, Jesus took the cup of the new covenant. He said, this is my blood poured out for forgiveness of sins. As you eat and you drink, you're in my family now. And then they did. So let's drink now. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for communion Sunday. Thank you that we take communion to be reminded that it is your body and your blood that bring us new life. Thank you for that, God. Thank you for the unity we have through participating in communion with you. We're so grateful, Lord. In your great name we pray. Amen. Let's stand as we close in song, as that communion settles through us, as we're reminded through the power of God that we are God's people. We'll have prayer team members on the left and the right. If you want to just pray over something in your life where you need God's power, someone in your life that you're praying would experience God's power more, some way you want the Spirit to move, all of those things, any of those things, we would love to pray with you on the left to the right. Let's close with song.